0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air. Well,
1: in 1981, as their children played around the kitchen table, four mothers shared their fears about the prospect of nuclear war. Terrified for their children's future, they organised a 120-mile march from Cardiff to Berkshire to protest the impending arrival of US nuclear missiles at the RAF Greenham Common. Mothers of the Revolution, the film tells the story of one of the longest protests in history between 1981 and 2000. Thousands of women from around the world came together at Greenham Greenham Common to uh, take a committed stand against nuclear proliferation. The film's director is Briar March, who joins me on the line now. Maureen, good to have you with us, Briar.
0: Maureen. It's Thanks for having me.
1: a remarkable uh, story, a remarkable film, and I guess remarkable also, Briar, that the story has not been told uh, before, uh, at least in this way. What uh, attracted you to the project?
0: Well, I think that is why I was attracted to it. Um, <laughs> you know, like... I- you don't want to make a film where you know that the story's being told. And, I mean, there had been previous documentaries about the um, peace camp, the women's peace camp, but they were sort of, you know, dry historical uh, documentaries, mainly for um, British television. And I felt there hadn't been a film that was really... Trying to show what it felt like to be one of those women living there to really show the world through their eyes, and so when i um you know decided that we'd make this that's that's what I wanted to do is I wanted you as an audience member to sit there and watch it and think, Wow.' Imagine living outside an American base, air base, under a tarpaulin in the middle of a British winter uh, for many, many years uh, with like one purpose: to try and get these cruise missiles out of the base. And 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 what, what does it feel like when you're? purpose and your action actually succeeds and so I wanted this film also to be an inspiration for people to see how it can actually be very exciting and satisfying and impactful to take part in something you believe in and and it actually can and people can make a difference so that is why I wanted to make this and I think that it's really interesting that A lot of people, when they watch the film, the thing that they come back and say is, how come I didn't know about this? And so sometimes, you know, it's surprising what we forget about. And I feel that this is a moment in history that we should be looking at. It's something that happened 40 years ago. It's a fundamental part of the Cold War story that not as many people know
1: the first thing we need to do is place ourselves within the context of the times. We've got Margaret Thatcher at number 10. The populace is distracted by more ephemeral things. Charles and Diana's wedding among them. No cell phones, a general rhetoric about the Soviet evil empire. They were different times.
0: Yeah, very, very much. And, um, you know, at, at that time, you know, everyone was thinking about what happens if the world blows up. It really was on people's minds, you know, like there were people who had end of the world parties. I mean, there were films like The Day After. It was a real threat, an existential threat that you know, the the nuclear proliferation was happening and it was serious and, you know, we still have the nuclear issue but you know, it's not the same as having some cruise missiles in your backyard. And that's that's what motivated these women to start doing something because they were thinking about their future. They were thinking about their children. They were thinking about us, all of us, you know, like the the next generations, knowing, you know, seeing Hiroshima and the, the impact of just one uh, missile, one uh bomb what it can do and these missiles were a hundred times stronger than the Hiroshima bomb so that is that's that's the world that we were they were in and you know it was it's quite hard to even imagine unless you were there what that was like so the film tries to you know it starts by really trying to show that like in Britain they had this thing was called the four-minute warning and basically they had four minutes to find shelter before,
1: you know, a, a potential nuclear attack. The the women at the centre of the film, um, and you've indicated, they, they weren't the only ones to have been alarmed and even horrified at the decision of the British government to allow cruise missiles to be stored at Greenland Common, but they were among the initial few to take direct action. What, uh, what commonalities did those women share?
0: With, with, who, what are other people? With each other. Sorry, I, oh, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, look, there was CND, which is also the Campaign for Nuclear disarmament, which is a big, you know, um, group as well, uh, that was in Britain, and there was D in Europe, so there were lots of, sort of, peace, um, you know, a- activism going on, uh, but what was unique and specific about the Green and Common Women's Peace Camp was it became a woman's issue. And it was actually a woman-only uh, peace camp, which made it quite unique. And I think that at some point, there were a lot of women who felt that their voices and their concerns weren't really being heard in the media. And I think that a lot of women, you know, Particularly felt strongly about this issue because they were thinking about their children, and so uh, at the peace camp, yeah, they, these women started to, you know, really have a strong voice around the nuclear issue. But then it also became an issue about other things, about women, female empowerment, about uh, sexism, about the way they're being portrayed in the media. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of other things that came through the peace camp because it was a woman's only space, and this is the eighties, and there was a lot going on there for women to explore.
1: There was a preparedness among them to, uh, as one of the women said, take a more nuanced view of the East-West relationship as well. That was important, wasn't it?
0: Yes, that really was. And this, the other part of the story that um, we look at is that some of the Greenham Common Woman decided to actually go over to the Soviet Union and find their counterparts. And I think that was that's another part of the story that has really been discussed and told. I mean, the peace camp had so many different forms of actions, and this was another action. So a group of the women, um, some of the characters in the film... Uh, decided to, to cross over to, uh, cross over to the Iron Curtain and they found another group that were like the peace camp basically, who were just ordinary citizens who were against this idea of a nuclear war and wanted to start you know negotiating and and, and find ways to, to stop it and so together they started like having conversations they actually went to talk to some of the Soviet officials about what they were doing and uh, some of in the Soviet Union these other this other group was really having a lot of trouble with like some serious human rights sort of you know things happening to them and so by 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 connecting with each other, it showed to both the the uh, UK uh, government and the Soviet uh, government that you know these people felt the same about this issue, and that they were all on the same side, wanting peace.
1: I'm talking with Brian March about her film Bro- uh, Mothers of the Revolution, which plays at the New Zealand International Film Festival screenings here in aotearoa Uh, You mentioned before, Briar, that uh, this is just not a document only of the historical events. It's a commentary on the the dynamic between the sexes. It's a commentary on media and it's slanted and vitriolic sometimes portrayal of these women. It's also a story of personal transformation for many of these women.
0: That's right, yeah. And I mean, one of the characters whose name is Chris Drake, um, she says that you know she knew that she was a lesbian since she was 11 years old but she just never found a way to to be herself and for for her story she comes to the camp and she finds a way to do that there was it was a safe place for women especially women who identified as lesbian or gay and so for these women it, it became a really celebratory place to, to be themselves and to find themselves and And that's just one example, but for others too, who were you know who never had a career or never engaged in the media, they come along to the peace camp and they they're suddenly doing all these new things they're they're finding that they have different skills and so through this this place where they're they're doing this the the serious work they're really transforming themselves and who they are and so with each of the characters that we followed they, they all had their own emotional journeys and they all changed dramatically from being there and it's amazing to see them now because you know they're talking about the these stories 40 years on and they are still involved in activism now and they're still out there on the you know, on the streets sometimes marching, you know, along on in a protest about you know, climate change now and other issues that that we're facing in the world. And it shows you how much this event really defined their lives. And and I think it's because also they saw the power that they could have as individuals to make change. And once you see that there's sort of no going back. So, I mean, I have to say that making this film, probably the most exciting part for me, was actually just sitting there for, you know, a day, days at a time, and just having the honor to listen to these women speak and share their, their lives with me because that was so inspiring. And I feel inspired by it. Like, I feel like I want to be more active now and be more... Um, take part in more actions, Um, just having met these women and seeing how inspirational and how much, you know, how much change we really can have as individuals.
1: The women were more than once able to expose the frailties of the system that supposedly kept these weapons secure. That was quite frightening.
0: (laughs) So many ways, so many ways, but there is the one particular story which is very sort of exciting and scary and all of those things, and that's when Rebecca Johnson actually broke into the airbase and um, climbed into the air traffic control tower. And this is, uh, you know, you have to bear in mind that there were missiles there at the time. There were a lot of soldiers, US soldiers that were armed, and they had been given instructions that they could shoot if they saw intruders. And so these women came, and they got as far as inside the air traffic control tower, and they were waiting there for maybe up to, like, three hours for someone to do something, and nobody seemed to notice that they were there. Um, In the end, they had to, you know, shout and sort of make... Bring attention to themselves, um, turn on a few lights and stuff so that someone would come and get them. But they were doing that as a demonstration to say, look, this isn't safe, you know, and if we were terrorists, this could have all gone very wrong. And so that was why they weren't making an action like that. And um, there were other things like, uh, you know, Cruise Watch as well, which is another sort of umbrella for a um group that came around that time where people would blockade roads to stop the convoys and the convoys were these big trucks where the missiles uh the missiles were, were on the convoys because with these particular missiles they had to be released from trucks which is also very dangerous and, and another concern that the woman had. So they would block them on the side of the road and just show like how how but be- particularly dangerous this situation was and having missiles on roads.
1: Let's talk um, about some of the logistics here for you. You've turned up a very comprehensive and colourful library of archival footage and interviews. That would have no doubt been a, a large part of the task in assembling this film.
0: Very, very true, true. and I have to make a shout-out to Phoebe Shawmer who was our Lead researcher. There were quite a few people involved, but that's a full time job trying to uncover some of all of of that archive that we um, we have in the film, and it was a very exciting thing too because you know you'd be like one day some some new piece of archive would come into the office and it would be like wow no one's seen this before, Um, and yeah, I mean, as, as you mentioned earlier, this peace camp lasted a long period of time. Um, the largest time, there was 10 years where there were, there were hundreds of women there, and that's the area we mainly focused on. But in the 80s, uh, there was a lot of VHS tape being um, recorded, and, you know, tape was a new format, um, and people didn't always save it either like they didn't archive it you know film 16 mil people tended to keep um, but this tape format being new it was never really backed up so it actually made some of our research quite hard because there were sometimes gaps in places where we couldn't find the archive and in those places we had to create recreations
1: are you someone those er- those yeah those rec- those recreations um you need to take care that those are kept authentic within the context of the film as well getting the balance right
0: exactly yes and so that was all part of the process and and you know it's it was very exciting to have those moments to recreate parts of the story and how we did that is we we just used the archiver's reference um, to get, you know, the locations and the colours and everything the way we wanted. But then, as I said to you at the beginning, the main point was really creating a story where we feel like we're experiencing it through the woman's, um, their shoes. And so really they are the ones who directed how we want to do those recreations because we're... We're showing it through their experience and how they felt as they're climbing up the air traffic control tower or in a taxi in the Soviet Union with someone um, following them behind, you know. We wanted to show how scary that was. It was really scary, and in and, and some ways, the film feels like, you know... a. Uh, a Cold War thriller, because some of the things that the woman experienced were like that. They were out of a Cold War thriller movie. That's really what it was like for them.
1: Ultimately, it's a hugely uplifting film on the power of perseverance and people power. Um, Do you think uh, the women you spoke with fully appreciate the significance of their efforts?
0: They... I think the woman we spoke to really believes that they had an impact. Um, you know, one of our women who we interviewed, Rebecca Johnson, mentioned that many years later, um, Gorbachev, she went to a, a conference where Gorbachev was speaking, and she actually directly, directly asked him, you know, uh, what impact do you think we made? And he looked directly at her and he said, thank you. Thank you. You really helped me. I was able to take the risk to go to Reykjavik and propose nuclear disarmament, not because I trusted Reagan, but because I trusted the European peace movement and and you guys, the women at the peace camp. And, and you really helped me uh, make those steps. So I think that that these women really believed that they had an impact and they saw the impact that they had and in the end, this is their film and we are representing their view and and their voice and and so I also agree with them actually, I think they really did have an impact and that is really the point of this movie is to show this other part of history that we don't always hear about and it's really a story about grassroots movements and and the functional role and power that they have and I really hope that when you will watch it that's what you feel inspired to know that you know we all can actually have the power to make change.
1: Mothers of the Revolution screens at the New Zealand International Film Festival here in Ōtipoiti, Dunedin. Screenings on uh, Saturday, November 6th and Monday, November 8th. You can uh, check the New Zealand International Film Festival website for details to book your tickets. Uh, Brian March, thank you so much for making this film and thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us here on ORFM. My pleasure, thank you.
0: The 2021 Whānau Marama New Zealand International Film Festival returns to Dunedin from November the 5th to the 21st. 17 days of the finest in local and world cinema. Indulge your passion for film by taking in the best from the Cannes, Venice and Berlin Film Festivals, as well as contemporary works from Aotearoa. Unparalleled, big screen experiences at The Regent and Rialto. Check out the programme at nziff.co.nz. We'll see you at the movies. This podcast was produced by OrFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.